0: All right. Good morning, Family Bible Church. Um, My name is Dominic Candelaria, and I began to follow Jesus around 2020 of August, um, and I'm here to bring the scripture today. Um, So our reading from scripture today is from the letter of Habakkuk, uh, beginning in chapter one, verse 12 through chapter two, verse one, and it starts like this in verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my holy one, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Have you made people like the fish in the sea, like, like the sea creatures that have no ruler? The wicked foe pulls up all of them with hooks. He catches them in his nets. He gathers them up in his dragnet so he can rejoice and he is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his, to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the best food. He is able to keep, is he, is he able to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and st- I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he has to say to me and I will answer. I am able to give this complaint. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. It's amazing to see the work that God is doing uh, amongst us, uh, the work that God continues to do, and uh, we're so thankful that we can be here together today to celebrate. And uh, whether this is your first time here or first time in church, or maybe you're considering it to be your last time here or last time in church, (laughs) we welcome you and we're glad you're here. Or or maybe this is just part of your natural rhythm that you're a part of. We want to welcome you, too. And if you're trying to figure things out, we welcome you. If you're confused about things, we welcome you. We're just really glad that you are here wherever you're at. And I want to bring you up to speed really quickly. We are in the book of Habakkuk. It's a minor prophet. Just means it's a short book in the Old Testament, and it's a conversation between God and Habakkuk, and it's it was within these three chapters, and uh, they are going back and forth. And the first week we talked about what are what are promises of God versus the problems we walk through in life because situations were not good with the people of uh, Judah of Israel. And Habakkuk was saying, there's some problems going on within. And so we talked about the first week. Do we look at our problems and just solely focus on our problems? Or do we look at the promises of God and allow that to uh, change our perspective? And what Habakkuk did is he lamented. This is a cry out to God. This is the situation. This is the hardship. This is the difficulty. And then laments resolve in trust in God. God, you're good. God, you're faithful. I'm going to trust you in the face of this. And we talked last week about perspective is that perspective is long-term. It is not just have it all fixed and tied up now, but looking long-term, even beyond our own lifetime. We may pray things or ask God for things or see things that we may not see answered in our lifetime. Habakkuk did not see his prayers answered. In fact, he saw destruction and chaos and brokenness and pain and loss of life in his lifetime when the Babylonians came in and took over Jerusalem. And so we're not always gonna understand, we're not necessarily gonna like, we're not gonna completely see what God is doing around us, but our call as followers of him is to trust him. And in verse 12, what Dom read this morning, it's kinda like you have this conversation with someone, you're telling them something, but you can see them formulating thoughts already in their mind of how they're gonna reply. I feel like verse 12 is that, like the Lord finishes and then Habakkuk's like, Lord, are you not from everlasting? He's telling them, do you not remember who you are? You're not going to die. My God, my Holy One, you'll never die. You're eternal. You have appointed them to execute judgment. Like you've, you've said the Babylonians are enemies. Them? What? And it says, you, my rock, have ordained them to punish? Habakkuk's like, this cannot be right. This is not like your character. Your actions, what you're saying is not lining up with your character. It's not how I saw you, God. It's not what I thought about you. Habakkuk was coming with some assumptions that the Babylonians were evil, them, the people out there, over there, they're evil, we're good, the Israelites, Judah, we're good, and God is good, so favor is going to be upon us because we're good and God's good and they're bad. I mean, it's a simple equation that they're not the only ones in the history of time have had. In fact, I would probably argue that most of us at some point have been like, I'm good, God, you're good, they're bad, fix the situation, please, Right? We've been there. And in verse 13, he is questioning. He's saying there's a struggle. He's like, God, you're, you're too pure to look on this. You're, you can't tolerate this wrongdoing. This is not you. The wicked are swallowing up the righteous. Hey, God, just I, I think you know this, but if you wipe out all the people who are worshiping you, guess who's left? Is that what you want, God? And then Habakkuk, he continues on by using this fishing illustration, which is really this picture of warfare. And he uses an illustration of a hook, because when you go in fishing, generally when you put a hook out there with a worm or a lure on it, generally you're only catching one fish at a time. And so what he's saying is, like, you're just slowly picking off these people who are yours. And then a, a fishing net takes a few more fish in, but then he progresses in what Dom read, this drag net, which essentially just wipes across the floor of, of the body of water, taking everything out of the sea, the ocean, the lake, whatever it may be, and bringing it in. He's saying, is this really who you are, God? Is this really what you're about? Are you gonna let them just come through and wipe us all out? Is this your answer? In verse 17, he says this. He says, is he to keep on emptying his net, talking about Babylon there, destroying nations without mercy? God, gonna watch us? Are you gonna help? And then he says this really brilliant next line in chapter two, verse one. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me, being God, and what complaint, what answer I am give, excuse me, and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So he says, I'm gonna go up to this rampart, I'm gonna station myself high. Like in castles and tall buildings, there's these ramparts, right? And these ramparts are, ramparts are places of protection. They're places where you can have perspective. They're places where you can pause. You can get out of the normal flow of life and get above it. And Habakkuk said, I'm here. This is where I'm going to hang out. And God, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I am waiting for an answer from you. There's some boldness here. And in week one, week two, I, I, I asked you, I said, are you willing or comfortable approaching God this way? And sometimes we're like, you know, we should be reverent and have a fear of God, absolutely. But Habakkuk, along with many others, went right before God and just said, this is the situation. And he's saying, I'm going to stay here because I believe you are good. I believe you're better than what is unfolding here. And I'm going to wait. Wait. Not many of us like to wait. In fact, we're really uncomfortable with waiting. Like I said, Habakkuk never saw the full answer to this, never really understood that as we unpacked that last week. But even today, we are super uncomfortable waiting. I mean, if this was happening today, it'd look something like this, right? I mean, there'd be these two texts from Habakkuk, and then God, it's like, all right, what is God typing? Um hmm, hmm, come on, what's the answer? Like we do this in our text, right? When you send something and you're really looking for that answer back, you're like, what are they typing? Or if the bubbles stop, that's the worst, right? <laughs> Why aren't they replying to me? And this is within a text string in a very short amount of time. Habakkuk said, I'm gonna wait. And he had a place. And this waiting was long. Where do you go to Wait. Where is your rampart? Is it a physical place? Do you have a, maybe a chair you go and you sit and just rest and reflect? Or maybe you have a favorite walking trail, or you go run, or you just have somewhere, place in your yard, or, or maybe it is prayer that you rest in, or maybe it is the word that you rest in. And this is how you wait, this is how you look for an answer. But what do we do in this waiting time? Because for many, it's long. Many of you have prayed prayers for years, still with an unanswered prayer. Many of you have looked at situations, and you're like, that's just not answered. And if you've been around the church long enough, the church can be really good at just kind of short, like, here's some comfort, here's some sugar, be happy with this answer. And and maybe you've heard when it comes to unanswered prayers, like, God answers every prayer. He says, yes, no, or wait, right? If you've been around the church, you've probably heard that. And that may be like that sugar that makes you feel good right away, but there's a crash that comes later when you really start to think about that, of like, what? Why was it? Even if it is yes, no, or wait, why? I mean, what do we do with this? This past summer, I read a book that really just struck me, and I had to sit on it for a while, and it's by Pete Gregg, uh, who started the 24-7 Prayer Movement, and the title of his book is called God on Mute, and the subtitle is Engaging the Silence of Unanswered Prayer. And what do you do with unanswered unanswered prayer? He says, there's three things we need to consider of why a prayer we're praying may not be answered now. He says, the first thing is God's world. Sometimes we pray prayers that try to go against what God has created, like set in motion. There's systems. There's order in God's world, which is very intentional and good for us. I mean, it's a good thing that we see the sun every single day, right? Gravity is very helpful most of the time, right? Sometimes it's dangerous. But God's world. And sometimes we pray prayers against that. Like, for example, have you ever prayed for a sunny day when it's raining? Right? I have what about the farmer down the road who's praying for that rain? It's got to be like, oh, mm, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And or, or even in the, the created world coming off of God's, or the, the, the built world within God's created world, how many of you have prayed for a parking spot? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I have too. But there's things that go into that. There's, city planners, and they figure out how many parking spots they need for a particular building. And if everyone goes to the grocery store that particular day and they decide to go at the same time, there's some parking spots that are filled, right? And and guess what? God can all of a sudden open up a spot or create a new spot. He can do that. But there's just, it it, it is the reality. There's a certain number of parking spots. C.S. Lewis, he said this, great, author and theologian. He said, God can and does on occasions modify the behavior of matter and produce what we call miracles as part of the Christian faith. The very conception of a common and therefore stable world demands that these occasions should be extremely rare, hence a miracle. I mean, I can pray and pray and pray that this TV is thrown across the room, And I gotta tell you, when I said that this week and I said it this morning, I kind of paused like I did right here because God could do that and that would really freak us out, right? (laughs) But it's here. Gravity's holding it there. It's set there. God could move that, but there's part of the world that it's a part of. So maybe what we're praying is, is within that. Another thing he said is God's will. This is really what we talked about last week, is that God knows best and we don't. That's hard to accept in certain situations. And that may create a crisis of faith too, is that we're like, no, 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 no. That should not happen. That doesn't seem like it's within your will. And we spent time on this last week. But we don't know God's mind. We don't know God's heart. Jesus said that, He answers prayer according to his will and his purpose. So our job is, what is our will, what is God's will and purpose, and how do we walk within that? Ultimately, God is more interested in molding our heart, changing our heart, developing our character, making us more like him than just making everything easy and simple and smooth. And a lot of times, pain is a catalyst towards that. And the final thing he said is God's war is that there is a cosmic conflict around us, and as educated Westerners, we sometimes are like, I don't want to talk about this. But the Bible has much to say about a war that unfolds around us. And in Ephesians 6, it says this. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Guess what? According to this passage, your issue is not just with that person. Your issue is a spiritual battle. Of course, division is what the enemy wants. Of course, separation is what the enemy wants. 2 Corinthians 10 says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They're not the weapons of the world. They're not the weapons of the world. We can't engage in a spiritual battle using the weapons of the world around us. Speaking louder, gossiping more, critiquing more, so on and so on, is not the weapons we use. And then 1 Peter 5 8 says this be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This verse has always terrified me. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around. The devil's not going to move in obvious ways, it's going to be subtle. Like, all right, here I'm gonna throw out some temptation, and let's see if Chris goes for that. Mm-hmm. Looking to devour, he's prowling, looking for that opportunity. So, what is our responsibility? Be alert and have sober mind. There's a cosmic conflict going on. There's this story in Daniel. Daniel is praying, and Praise day one, two, three, four, all the way up to day 21. And I'm sure at some point he's like, God, I've been praying for three weeks. Still not a long time with many people who have prayed for years. He's like, I'm praying. And it says he's intently praying in the story. And then it says that a messenger from heaven shows up and says, Daniel, the first day you prayed, I was dispatched to you. I was sent to you the very first day. But I got hung up in a cosmic battle, a battle with evil. But here I am. And I'm sure that day Daniel was like, wow, uh, good thing I kept praying, right? And sometimes we give up so quickly or we just pray that one prayer of like, here, here's my prayer. All right, God, go for it. Daniel was praying and praying and praying. There's God's world, God's will, God's war. And he also gives some questions too in this book. For example, when we're praying, when we're asking common sense, am I asking God to do something stupid, meaningless, or illogical, right? Like throwing a TV across the room. That's just a stupid prayer, right? Or a stupid comment. Contradiction, are my prayers likely to be conflicting with some, those of someone else, the farmer down the road? Laws of nature, are my prayers potentially detrimental to the natural order or to the lives of others? Life is tough. Am I expecting God to spare me from stuff that's just common human experience because of the fall? I mean, we see in the fall that what is the result of the curse? Uh, what, see, pain in childbirth, um, hard toil and work, um, division amongst people, uh, people thinking that they're more superior than other types of people. I mean, these, it's part of the fall. Doctrine, does my life, or does my prayer reflect God's character and his promises in the Bible? Might it be out of line with his will for my life? Does it align with scripture, what I'm praying? Second best, although my desire and prayer is for something good, is it possible that God has something even better in store for me? I've said it before, is that I prayed all sorts of prayers as a teenager and a college student that I am so thankful God did not say yes to those. Right, you too, in other faces in your life, right? God's like, no, 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 I have something else in mind. Motive, are my prayers essentially just selfish? Ouch. Relationship, is there an opportunity here for going deeper in my relationship with God? So is this an opportunity for me to pray and keep praying and saying, God, what is your heart and make it my heart? Free will, am I expecting God to override someone else's free will? We all have free will. And this does not mean that we do not pray for other people. But that person has a choice. And my prayer cannot overcome their choice. Influence, am I trying to exercise ungodly power over a person's life in prayer? Satanic opposition, is my prayer in line with God's will but experiencing specific demonic resistance? What we talked about in Daniel. Faith, do I really believe that God can do this? Perseverance, do I want it enough to keep praying? I believe there's one more screen. Yep. Sin, sin. It says, honesty time. Is there some secret sin you need to confess? Is there something that I'm just holding on to that I'm not willing to give up? Justice. Am I actively seeking to express God's love for the poor? Are my prayers going back to, is it just selfish? Am I really praying for the needs, the heart of God, the, the justice-driven heart of God? And then the last one, none of the first 15. Am I trying to find answers where I need instead to Trust. Maybe it's just a trust thing of, wait, wait, I'm doing something. Habakkuk, he said, I will stand at my watch and I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Habakkuk said, I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna surrender, I'm gonna be still and know that he is God and that I'm not. Habakkuk was in the dark, right? But he chose hope. There's another passage in scripture in the book of Lamentations, which is a giant lament written by Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, in chapter three, you can read this later if you so choose, he said, you know what, this is my situation, let me tell you about it. He said, I'm afflicted, I'm walking and, in fact, dwelling in darkness. My skin and my flesh are growing old. I just feel bitterness and hardship. I'm weighed down, my prayers aren't heard, my past feel crooked, I'm left without help, I feel like a target for arrows, people are laughing at me, I'm deprived of peace, and I've forgotten what prosperity is like. This is Jeremiah's situation. And Jeremiah, I'm sure, was like, ugh. And maybe you're there, you've been there, or you will be there. Or you just feel this heaviness of the world. But Jeremiah, he resolves his lament here. He says, so I say, my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped from the Lord. He's like, this is a summary type of statement. And he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and gall, I remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. He can resolve to stay there, this is just who I am, this is where I'm at, this is what this person did to me, this is what I decided, this is what this, 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 this is just the reality, so I have to deal with it. My new reality. And as many of you know, one of my least, saying, my least favorite sayings in the world is, it is what it is. It's like this just settling, like, uh, whatever. But Jeremiah and Habakkuk, they choose hope in the middle of a hard reality. This is not optimism because optimism is, if you're in a bad situation, you're like, uh, well, I think I can work out this financial situation this way or, well, there's this, um, this doctor that's going to help me with this or um, there's this relationship opportunity. That's optimism because you're seeing light in the dark. Hope is, it's just dark and I'm grasping on. I'm holding on. And the Hebrew word for hope that we find in scripture is the word tikvah, Tikva, And the root word is kavah. And kavah means to wait. Hope is rooted in waiting. But the word tikvah, the word hope, rooted in waiting, it also means expectation, but it also means rope or cord. Like there's hope in this rope, right? And in a rope, a good climbing rope, it is braided together, it is bound together. And the more tension that's put on it, the tighter it is that that rope grabs together and it holds. So, so if I go and I'm gonna rappel down a rock face, I have my proper climbing gear on, not today, of course, here, but let's just pretend I have you know, my climbing harness, my, you know, all my carabiners, all my proper gear. And I'm like, all right, this is not the way you climb a rock face or rappel, so do not take notes here, okay? So I tie on here. I'm all properly there. There's my rock face over here. I'm like, all right, throwing it down the side there, and now I'm going to rappel down the side. I'm good to go, right? I have my rope, which is my hope. I'm going to cling onto this. It's it's tight. It's a it's a good climbing rope. See, there's tension in it. I've got this hope. I'm good. I'm forgetting something, right? I'm going down a rock face, if I just go, I'm going to go, right? <laughs> All the way down. See, hope is not just grabbing onto hope for itself, clinging to this, I have hope. Rather, it is what is my hope attached to? Who is my hope attached to? What is immovable, permanent? or even as scripture says, a rock. See, we have hope, but our hope needs to be connected to someone else, in God, through the person of Jesus Christ. This is where Habakkuk's at. I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna hold on, there's tension. I'm gonna wait. This is where Jeremiah's at, there's tension. I'm going to wait. And this is how Jeremiah resolved. Chapter 3, verse 21 of Lamentation. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. You may feel consumed. You may feel like you're being consumed. You just may feel everything's a loss. But because of his great love, you're not consumed. For his compassion's Never fail, never fail. They are new every morning. Bad day, new morning. Great is your faithfulness. I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. This is what I wanna encourage you with here today. So we can talk about promises and problems. We can talk about laments. and We can talk about perspective. But what do we do with this? This is what I'm gonna encourage you to do maybe once a day, two times a day, three times a day, 15 times a day, whatever you need. Is when that thing, that situation starts to rise up and you start to get consumed with it, that you take it to God. You ask. And your will be done you do a work. And when you give it to God, you wait. But in your waiting, you go to Lamentations 321 through 24. Put it on your phone, put it in your car, put it on a mirror, put it in where you work, wherever it is. That you will go to this passage. I call to mind because I have hope. God, it's your love and I'm not being consumed by this situation. Lord, your compassions never fail me. And your compassions in this situation will never fail me. Hear new every morning. This is a new morning. Great is your faithfulness. God, it's your faithfulness. Not what I can do. I'm just gonna hold on to this rope. It's rooted in you. And I'm gonna say, you are my portion. You are the one that I'm connected to. And I'm gonna wait on you. Wait. I'm going to wait. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the struggle that Habakkuk had in this conversation and, Lord, the richness of hope, God, especially when we're in the dark and we just cling on to this hope. Jesus, I thank you, God, for so many of us in this place, God, who our hope is connected to you because of our faith in Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life who gives us access to the Father God who is that rock, who is that steady place, who is that fortress. And Jesus, I pray that we would cling to this rope this week connected to you. Jesus, I pray that we would once again renew, God, that trust in you. Lord, be reminded of your faithfulness. God, for anyone here who, um, maybe like so many who were demonstrated earlier, at some point put their faith and trust in you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we enter that relationship by confessing sin. Lord, the scripture tells us if um, we confess our sins, you're faithful and just and you'll forgive us of all, all our sin. So you can tell God here this morning God, I trust you, that I'm a sinner, I have sinned, and God, I confess that to you, and God, I, I ask and I trust that you're taking that all upon yourself, you're forgiving me in this moment, Lord, that God now sees me through the lens of Jesus because of my trust and my faith in you. Father, God, I want to I walk with Jesus. He is my hope. God, in whatever situation I'm faith in, facing, God, I trust you now, and I want to walk with you. God, for each one of us, Lord, may we be reminded this week, great is your faithfulness as we wait on you. I pray this in Jesus' strong, powerful, and wonderful name. Amen.